How often have you heard that too much television is bad for you? Well, I guess we could all spend too much time in front of the tube. But what about what comes out of your TV, radio, and internet speakers? That should be our real concern. This is Evidence and Answers with Pat Zukerin. Dr. Zukerin is a prominent speaker, author, and defender of the Christian faith. And at a recent conference in Hawaii, Pat presented key speakers on some of the most thought-provoking questions facing contemporary culture. Today, you'll hear part one of nationally syndicated talk show host and media expert, Kirby Anderson. Kirby not only analyzes fascinating data on modern media, but offers practical advice on discerning the truth in media. And while you're listening, check out evidenceandanswers.org for resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. At evidenceandanswers.org, you'll find past shows, Pat's articles and books, and interviews with experts on a huge variety of compelling topics. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Go there today. Now, here's Kirby Anderson with part one of Discerning Truth in Media. When we talk about discerning in the media, I know that almost all of us recognize that we should have discernment. So I'm, in a sense, going to already tell you something you already know, but I'm going to give you some facts and things that might be very helpful to you. But what I want to try to do for just a few minutes is talk about why this would be an important thing for you to know about. And interestingly enough, there was an excellent survey that was done a number of years ago by George Barna. I enjoy really interviewing him on radio. And he has done a lot to try to understand what is in the minds, the hearts and the minds of individuals in our culture. And a while back, he tried to create what he felt was an indices, an index of the, what he felt were the sources of significant influence called SSI. What are the things that are most influential in your life your children's life, your grandchildren's life. And he concluded through some sophisticated things I won't get into, that the sources of significant influence in American society are movies, television, the internet, books, music, public policy and law, and family. Now, when you look at that, those first five all have to do with what? The media. Now, again, I'm going to say some critical things about the media, but you know what? I'm in the media. I do radio every single day. I do a daily commentary that's heard on all sorts of networks. I do a daily live two-hour radio talk show called Point of View. I also am on the Probe Radio Show, which is on 600 stations, not only in these, this country, but in other countries around the world. I do television. I interact with that. We are involved in websites and all sorts of other things. So I understand the media, but what I think we're starting to find is the media is, without a doubt, the primary influencer of values in the culture. So if you are a teacher, if you're a pastor, if you're in leadership, you have to be concerned. If you're a parent or you have individuals that you are ministering to, you have to understand the significant impact of the media. Now, when this was first published in Christianity Today, it was one of the most controversial articles that ever appeared in Christianity Today because of the next statement. He concluded that the church is not even in the top 12 sources of influence. Think about this for just a minute. Let's imagine we could go back, say, 50 years in time, and we were to interview people in America back then, 50 years ago. Let's say we'd go back 100 years ago. What do you think would be the primary sources of influence in the culture at that time? Church and family, would you say? You know, I don't know if it'd be one, two, or two, one, but, you know, church and family, one and two. But here you can see how much further lower the family is and how the church is not even in the top 12 influence. 
Now, it may be influential to you. You're in a church today. You probably go to a church tomorrow. But the point is, America is much more influenced by the media. And if you're in ministry, you have to pay attention to that. If you're concerned about the future of this country, you have to be concerned about that. So let's look at some of the things I've put there on the outline and try to help you understand that this generation really is growing up in what I would call a media storm. The good way to illustrate that is to start giving some numbers to all of that. The time the average high school student graduates from high school, he or she will have seen 22,000 hours of television. To put that in perspective, they will only have spent 11,000 hours in a classroom. Now, when I say that, there's always kind of a look of shock, almost a look of disbelief, like, that can't be right. I will go to the mat on this number. I will, you know, believe that this is an accurate number for one very good reason. The A.C. Nielsen Company spends millions and millions of dollars every single year to find out which TVs are on, what channel they're tuned to, and who's watching. This is a pretty accurate number. And think about this for just a minute. 22,000 hours of television by the time an individual graduates from high school. But teenagers tend to listen to a lot of music, don't they? The Journal of the American Medical Association a couple of years ago, actually using diaries and interviews, concluded that the average teenager, just during their teen years alone, listened to about 10,500 hours of music. That's about 11,000 hours if we rounded up, considering they probably listened to some music before they were teenagers. And by the way, this was a survey done before the iPod was really reaching its full impact in our society. I suspect that number is going to go up if they do another survey like that. Look at these numbers now. We're talking about they will have spent as much time listening to music as they will have spent in a classroom. Are you starting to get a handle on the sheer amount of influence that the media is having in our lives? Let's look at another one, the internet. Again, by the time they graduate, maybe about 13,000 hours. And it's interesting, that number is going up every single year. And that makes sense because the kids that are gonna graduate this year if they're 18 years of age, probably were born about, what, 1992, right? We didn't have full internet penetration back in 1992. Al Gore hadn't invented it yet, right? You know, so we didn't have, no, I'm just kidding, but you know, we obviously, that number is going to be going up. You start looking at these numbers, you start going, wait a minute, there's, you start running out of waking hours. That's because of the issue known as multitasking. You know what I'm talking about? TV's on, I'm on the internet, I'm texting my friends, and I'm supposedly doing the homework at the same time, right? One of the most significant other issues is video games. A new survey just came out by the Kaiser Family Foundation, talks about the sheer number of hours, primarily males, but not exclusively males, uh, spend in front of a video game, movies, videos, DVDs, and things of that nature. Still, one of the most powerful influences in our society is movies, even though they spend more hours, say, watching television, because they go into a movie theater, the big screen, very profound impact that it's having. You add to that books and magazines and newspapers and things like that, you begin to see that we have a whole generation growing up in the midst of what? A media storm. Now, those of you that are older can remember a time when maybe you weren't as involved in these activities. 
I'm old enough to remember when television wasn't 24 seven. You used to have a test pattern there. Some of you older remember, shake your head so that I don't feel like I'm the only old person in the room, okay? You know, remember that? There was a time when if you wanted to listen to music, you had to buy a record. I try to explain to kids, it's like a CD, but it was bigger, and it, never mind, you know. You go through all these kinds of things. But just think about, you know, go back 50 years, you know, television wasn't ubiquitous like it was, music, there wasn't an internet. We were talking about something that is unprecedented in American history, unprecedented in Western culture. And this is the world we find ourselves having to minister to and minister within. Now, I'm going to use something as we go through this today. I'm going to talk about media in general, and then I will come back and use television in specific. I'm going to use that because, first of all, more homes have television sets than actually have indoor plumbing. There's a punchline there, but I'll leave it alone here. And in Hawaii, almost every Hawaiian has a television set, unless they've chosen not to have a television set. So let's look at television again in particular. And as I pointed out, by the time he or she graduates from high school, he or she will have seen 22,000 hours of television. Now, if you think about it, up until now, I've just talked about the sheer quantity of media input, haven't I? What about the quality of that media input? They will have seen 16,000 televised homicides during that period of time. They will have seen 200,000 acts of violence. The latest statistic coming out from the Kaiser Foundation, when you look at video games and television and movies, you get up to about a quarter of a million. And so you're talking about a level of visual violence that again is unprecedented in Western civilization. I recognize seeing war in reality is different than seeing it on television, but does it not have an impact when you see that level of visual violence? During that same period of time, they will have seen 640,000 television commercials. Are you with me on this? Now, there are some really nice commercials and educational ones, but most of them reach to the lowest common denominator, which involves what? Sex, materialism, you just start thinking your way through that and you can begin to see that this is having a profound impact in our society. So how do we think about this biblically? Well, we certainly don't have any verses in the Bible that use the words television, DVDs, internet, uh, but I think we can see some general principles in the scriptures to help us understand how to think about this and how to develop discernment. Let's look at a couple. I put down in the notes there, 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Here, Paul, writing to Timothy, maybe his last or one of his last letters for sure, flee from youthful lusts. So he's telling you what not to do. Flee from those lustful things. What does he then say to do instead? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Another example, Colossians 3, 8. But rid yourselves um, of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Does that mean that you could never, for example, like read something that has anger in it? Well, no, the Bible has anger in it. The point I'm making here is, is that a good and wise and discerning believer says, you know, garbage in, garbage out. What I see, what I read, what I hear, if it's starting to affect my behavior, a wise and discerning Christian begins to limit his or her exposure to that. What about a positive seems to me that Paul, as he's writing to the church in Philippi, is saying that we should focus on that which is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. He certainly told us to really make sure that what we do is fill our minds with positive things. And again, that requires some kind of level of discernment. 
One last one, Romans 13, 13. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Well, lots of verses, but I just wanted to put a few of those up there to help us understand that there are some principles here that we can use as we evaluate what we see, what we read, what we hear. And the key word to all of this is what? Discernment. And that's the title of this message, Discernment in the Media. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been in lots of messages and heard pastors preach on the need for us to have discernment. And I sometimes walk out and say, okay, I understand that I need discernment. Can somebody help me understand how to get that? As you turn over your page, you can see that I think there are three simple steps to begin to develop discernment in the media. The first is to stop. That is, stop what you're doing long enough to concentrate. We live in this media storm, and most of the time we just allow media to come into our heads and we don't really think about what is taking place. We're not really concentrating on what is taking place. When I used to come home, sometimes I'd say to my kids, Hi, kids, I'm home. Kids, I'm home. Hello, kids. I'd grab the remote for the TV and go click, click. The TV would go off and then we'd get this sort of blink, blink. Oh, hi, Dad. What was going on here? The phenomena known as TV zombies, right? You know, I've had young people that say, I can't be in a room that's quiet because I've grown up listening to music. I've grown up having the television on. And so as a result, they live in this world where there are all these various inputs into their eye gate and their ear gate, but they've never thought them through. We do that sometimes too, don't we? I've had people tell me, you know, I can't get in a car without turning on the radio. You know, I just can't, you know, stand in line without, you know, getting on my, you know, cell phone or something. I can't uh, really just uh, focus and concentrate without putting some earbuds in and listen to my iPod. You know, that obviously gets us back to another aspect of silence. Gary talked about the silence of God. Isn't there a place for us as believers to have silence in our lives? We don't seem to have very much of it anymore, do we? We have this kind of fast-paced, frenetic lifestyle. The metaphor I like to use is the Toyota accelerators, right? What's been the problem there? The accelerator is stuck down. That's kind of our lives. We're just going full speed ahead. Even on the islands we are. Just really filling our lives. So the first key to discernment is what? To stop long enough to concentrate. The second then is to listen. That is to give attention to what is entering your mind. I found that, again, we allow it to come in, but we don't analyze it. If you're doing youth ministry, I'll give you a great illustration. We've used this before. We'll come in, we'll find some of the popular music for a young person, and we'll play some of the music, and we'll find the kids are singing along with it, and then we'll pop the lyrics up on the screen. And then we'll do kind of an analysis, like you do kind of a Bible study. And after a few minutes, the kids go, whoa, I didn't know it said that. I said, you just sang the words a minute ago. Yeah, but I didn't realize the implications of that. A wise and discerning person not only stops long enough to concentrate, but he or she also gives attention to what is coming into their mind. Is it true? And what of it? And how do I analyze it from a biblical point of view? The third thing is to ultimately look at the consequences of entertainment in your life. Garbage in, garbage out. We have a lot of people today that say, you know, I can watch anything and it doesn't have an impact on me. I can listen to any kind of music, it doesn't affect me. 
You know, I can go to any internet website, it doesn't matter. I think what I want to try to do over the next few minutes is take this third point and show you through some very rigorous studies, which are just a handful of ones that I've talked about in some of our other material that's available on our website, to really demonstrate that it does have an impact. First of all, let's talk about, in a general way, the impact of the media, and then we'll come back again to television. In my book, Christian Ethics in Plain Language, I have a chapter on the media, and in there I make the case very clearly that, first of all, the media presents an unreal view of the world. Newsflash, reality TV is not reality. You know, what you have, especially in situation comedies, is, you know, one-dimensional characters, simple plots, all major life's problems are resolved within 30 minutes, at most an hour. That's not reality. So first of all, it presents an unreal view of the world, in part because it presents an oversimplified view of the world. Even news programs, good and bad, pro and con. Sometimes there's a middle position here, and they take the two wildly extreme people, and you say, I don't like either of these two views. Neither of those represent my point of view. An oversimplified view of life. But third and most important, the media we know desensitizes its viewers. Now, I oftentimes will speak at this at a Worldview weekend or other kinds of youth conferences and things like that. And I've had young people say, no, I don't really think it desensitizes me. And one time I used for this one young lady, I said, okay, if you recently gone to like an action movie or a horror movie or some kind of thing where people react uh, to that, oh yeah. Now, have you ever had somebody go with you in one of those movies and as soon as, you know, somebody jumps out with a knife or something, they go, oh, no, you know, and she said, yeah, we were all just laughing at her. And I said, maybe she should have been laughing at you. You're able to see a level of visual violence and just sit there passively. Her reaction is more normal than your reaction. It had desensitized you. It was like this light bulb went on, like, oh, my gosh, I have become desensitized. My daughter one time said, you know, I think I could go to any kind of movie. I don't think it'd affect me at all. And I said, that bothers me if that's really true. First of all, I don't think it is. But it bothers me that you think it could be true. And the reality is I've met some young people that have seen so much violence now, they're almost inoculated against it. So we know that the media can have an impact. But let's now go back and look at television as one example. And I'm only going to use one or two in the interest of time, but I have many more if you are looking for ammunition or opportunities to share this with other individuals. But let's look at one of the classic studies. This was done years ago by George Gerber and Larry Gross, uh, doing research at the Annenberg School of Communication, University of Pennsylvania. It was written up in a number of places, but it's probably best known in a, a seminal article that appeared in Psychology Today. They called it the scary world of the heavy TV viewer. And what they did is they actually did interviews with individuals who were heavy TV viewers and then individuals that were not heavy TV viewers, light viewers. And they found something very intriguing. They found that heavy TV viewers, for example, tended to vastly overestimate their likelihood of being involved in a violent crime. Can you think why? Because they saw a lot of violence. They tended to think the world was scarier than it really was. By the way, these studies were done long before we had the CSI programs and 24 and things like that, which could really make you very paranoid if you start watching some of those. But they found that the, it was a scary world because the heavy TV viewers tended to vastly overestimate their likelihood of being involved in a violent crime because they saw so much crime on television, they thought they were much more in danger than people that were either not watching television or were like viewers. 
They found that heavy TV viewers also tended to overestimate the percentage of people in white-collar occupations. Why? Because most of the stories were about people in white-collar occupations. They also found that they uh, tended to overestimate the percentage of Americans compared to the rest of the world. Why? Because most of the stories about Americans. Now, the point I'm making is it's not as absolutely essential that you walk out of the congregation here today, out of the sanctuary today, knowing the exact percentage of Americans compared to the rest of the world. But what I'm trying to do is show you this. If there are things that I can quantify, for example, your likelihood of being involved in a violent crime, the percentage of Americans in, uh, in white-collar occupations, the percentage of Americans compared to the rest of the world, if I can quantify those things and show that heavy TV viewers tended to have a skewed worldview, would it also make sense that other things that are more difficult to verify, sensuality, materialism, self-centeredness, narcissism, those also would be skewed? Does that make sense to you? And so the point I'm making is, is that for any fair-minded person, there are studies out now that demonstrate that what you see, what you read, what you hear does affect your worldview. Does that make sense? Proverbs says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what you think about affects behavior. Well, let's talk about that behavior for just a minute. For example, we'll talk about young people. There was a study that uh, came out a number of years ago by the Journal of Pediatrics, the American Association of Pediatricians. There are some Christians there, but most of the people that control this data, as I said last night, could not sign the doctrinal statement of this church. Nevertheless, they had to admit that their studies show that adolescents who watch sex on TV, the more television they watched about sex, the more likely they were to have sex. I've had some young people say, you know, until I heard your talk on abstinence, I thought I was the only virgin in America because everything I see on TV is everybody's having sex. They've done a follow-up study more recently that came out and also showed that those individuals, adolescents that watch sex on television, were more likely than the general population to be pregnant. So what you see does affect behavior. We talk about violence, the same thing, over a thousand different studies that have been done, three done by the Surgeon Generals, three different Surgeon Generals of the United States that showed a causal connection between media and aggressive behavior in some children. Now, they had to put kind of weasel words in there because they didn't want to say that just if a kid watched lots and lots of violent television, he's going to be an axe murderer. So they say in some because they recognize that obviously that isn't a perfect correlation, but it's a striking correlation as well. The classic study done on this years and years ago, University of Illinois by Leonard Aron, he did a study of eight-year-olds and found that those individuals at that time, eight-year-olds that watched lots of violent programming, tended to have more problems in the schoolyard. But then, 10 years later, he now did follow those same ones who were now 18 years old and tried to see those who would watch those violent programs. If they showed a higher correlation, for example, of juvenile delinquency, various court records and things like that, and he did. And then 10 years after that, he now is talking about 28-year-olds and seeing whether or not they had had various police records and charges, and he found it again, a, what is called a longitudinal study. Does that surprise us? It shouldn't, because we should understand that what you see, what you read, what you hear does have an impact. Well, let's talk about worldview for just a minute. When I turn on a television set, when I open up a newspaper, when I listen to a radio program, when I open up a news magazine or whatever it might be, what is the worldview of individuals that are providing the news? Well, the classic study, and there's been a more recent one, but the classic one was done back in the 1980s. 
When I was at Georgetown University, a friend of mine, Robert Lichter at George Washington University with Stanley Rothman, actually interviewed 240 members of the media elite. At that time, it was Time, Newsweek, U.S. News and World Report, ABC, NBC, CBS, the Associated Press, United Press International, the Washington Post, and the New York Times. This was before CNN really got going, before Fox News. Now, there have been new studies on those since then. But looking back at the classical study, one of the things they found is they looked at the people that determined what you see, read, and hear. They found that, first of all, they were very, very liberal. I know that surprises you. No, it even surprised them. At that time, we didn't have so many third-party candidates, and they found that even at times when most of the population was voting for Ronald Reagan over Walter Mondale, both in 1984, but even back in 1980, Ronald Reagan over Jimmy Carter, still 80% of them always voted for the most liberal candidate. In that case, it was the Democratic candidate. Most of the nation was voting for Ronald Reagan in 1984. More than 80% of them were voting for Walter Mondale. So first of all, they were very different than the rest of the population. The second one, even more importantly, they were very, very secular. 86% of the media elite seldom or never attend religious services. They don't go to church or synagogue. They don't know people that go to church or synagogue. Most of those people located in New York City or in Washington, D.C. As a matter of fact, when they would ask them for their religious affiliation, Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, 50% said, I don't know. They couldn't even come up with a religious affiliation. Tomorrow, the estimates are anywhere from 30 to 40% of Americans will go to church. That's very different than the people that determine the news. Well, we're out of time, but Kirby Anderson has more to say on discerning truth in media, so we'll pick it up there next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. We have many resources that we think you'll find interesting at evidenceandanswers.org. In fact, Dr. Zucrin has many more topics from Kirby Anderson and other experts at our website. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism at evidenceandanswers.org. Check out the evidence and then decide for yourself at evidenceandanswers.org. And if you can, please partner with us with your tax-deductible gifts. Your contributions and prayers are so appreciated and helps keep this program on the air and growing with good news, good evidence, and good answers concerning today's spiritual questions. Donate now at evidenceandanswers.org. And we'll see you next time on Evidence.